Hello and welcome to season two of Chatting to a Friend. Season one was the most amazing experience for me and the life lessons and wisdom I learned from my guests, plus the fun I had was absolutely beyond my wildest dreams. The goal for season two is to add more variety and diversity to my guest list. I absolutely love adventure and sport and so those will still feature heavily, but I wanted to talk to more women who have very different life experiences to mine, careers, backgrounds and challenges that I wanted to learn more about to widen my understanding and broaden my horizons. I realise there's a lot of me, me, me in this intro, but it's because I still feel like it's the most extraordinary privilege for me to talk to and learn from these women. And so even if no one's listening, it remains the most personal of all my projects. Having said that, from the amazing feedback I've had and how much you have kept listening between seasons, I know you're going to love these conversations too. Please don't forget to rate and review the podcast either on Apple or on lovethepodcast.com forward slash chatting to a friend. I can't wait to hear how you love season two. Well, this one is a bit of a corker. Jane Harris, what a life she's led. She was a solicitor. She's from the wilds of Wales. Uh, she lived in Australia and she is now a training consultant, a presenter and what she calls a soft adventurer. And you will hear in the interview what she means by that. But my word, she's done some extraordinary things. And she has an amazing magazine called Adventure She, which you can find online. And just her whole story, including a prophylactic mastectomy to avoid having breast cancer that killed her mum, and how that, what should have been something to stop her getting ill, became a much bigger drama than it, it should have been. She is full of stories, full of excitement, and just someone very inspiring to chat to. And you will hear she has a rather different challenge Katie at the end of the episode. So listen in for that and let me know what you think. Hi Jane, thanks so much for joining me. How are you? I am very well. Thank you Katie and thank you for having me on your show. It's my absolute pleasure. I'm a fan of the magazine which we're going to which is Adventure She, which we're going to come on to. But I really wanted to start with actually my burning question. I always have a burning question at least one when I have guests on the show. And my burning question for you is, what do you mean when you describe yourself as a soft adventurer? Well, the word adventure is something a lot of people have been talking about. What actually does it mean? And mm -hmm. I described myself as a soft adventurer when I gave a TEDx talk in Wandsworth in London. And the reason mm -hmm. I described myself as a soft adventurer is they wanted to use the word adventurer. And I was like, but I haven't skied to the poles. I haven't climbed <laughs> Mount Everest. I haven't swum the length of the Amazon. I'm not that type of adventurer. Hence, soft yep. adventurer. But so, but having said that, so let's not like say that you just, you know, walk along the Thames towpath for adventure. You have done some pretty cool stuff. You've done the Marathon de Saab. You've walked the Camino de Santiago. You've been overland in China in a truck and all sorts of things. What have been some of your favorite uh, sort of in inverted commas soft adventures? Undoubtedly, one of my favorites was in, on the border of Zimbabwe and Zambia when I did two adventures 
almost back to back. One was about a nine, 10-day kayaking trip from just below the dam on Lake Hariba to mm. the border with Mozambique. And it was really, really basic that you didn't have bottled water or anything like that. You just got your water bottle, dunked it in the river, added some water purification tablets and added like some <laughs> tang powder or something to take wow. the taste of the Zambezi away and drunk it. It was that basic and sleeping underneath the stars. Each campsite was designated. Um, the park authorities said where we we're allowed to sleep. And sometimes we'd get to a campsite and there would be elephants still <laughs> there. One night we were camped by the river almost going to sleep and a hippo came out of the water and went to sleep in the middle of our kitchen. <laughs> I mean, it was just phenomenal. And you're, you're paddling away and you're seeing all these things and you're thinking, is that a rock that I need to avoid or is that a hippo I must avoid? Because like hippos, I think, are the most dangerous animal in Africa. But it was absolutely phenomenal. And you say it was back to back. Yes. So the other part of it then was I whitewater rafted from right below Victoria Oof. Falls for about six, seven days, again, along mm. the Zambezi. So normally most people go mm -hmm. for a day, possibly two, but there was about four, five days of rapids and then flat wow. water. And then the fourth day, I think it was, we were in these boats that had oars, as mm. opposed to paddles. And on the fourth day, the guide said to me, oh, Jane, would you like to have a go on the oars? The day before, a couple of the men in the boat mm -hmm. had had a go, but he took taken the oars back from them before we got to a rapid. Mm -hmm. So when I heard the boiling noise of this rapid approaching, I was so happy because I thought, I'm mm -hmm. tired, I'm shattered, this is hard work. He's going to take the oars back now. And then he goes, Jane, would you like to take us through this what? rapid? And I was like, oh my goodness, I'm in charge of this raft and everybody's life as I take <laughs> them through the rapid. So that was pretty cool. That sounds amazing. And what what you said that I think I've re read somewhere that you you sort of took to adventure when you were really, really young, thanks to an oh, aunt, was no. it? No, as in, but it, you were fascinated by Far Away. So talk to yes, me about Far yes. Away and then talk to me about because what caused you to have that great big laugh because obviously clearly I was wrong with your adventure came early. Of course, I understand. So my teacher, when I was six years old, she retired after our class and went away to what was then known as Rhodesia. Mm. And she came back and gave a talk to all of us in primary school about her holiday to, as I say, what was then Rhodesia. And most of the other children, this was a local school in the local town, most of the other kids, they were bored out of their brains, mm. twiddling thumbs, etc. I was sat there, you know, hand, my jaw in my chin in my hands, staring at the screen, absolutely mesmerized. <sighs> And then a few years later, I remember we were learning about what we now call Inuit, then the Eskimos in Canada. Mm -hmm. And it's like, I wanted to play that I was an Inuit. 
Mm-hmm. I wanted to spend all winter long and uh, every break time wanting to play that I was an, an Inuit. And I wanted to pretend all summer long that I was from Africa and things. So <laughs> there must have been something there. Mm. The reason for the laugh is I was not from an adventurous family. Mm. In West Wales, and a lot of Wales, there's been poverty mm. throughout the centuries. People were living a very, very hard, tough life. Mm-hmm. The way out of poverty was if you could afford it to go to secondary school, mm-hmm. because in olden days you had to pay even for the bus fare. Wow. And then to become a teacher or even a solicitor or a doctor. So academics was very, very strong in my family in a sense of do well in school. Mm get the exams, then you can land that job that will help take care of you in your life. Mm -hmm. The emphasis wasn't on going hiking or anything like that. I think maybe in my life, I remember going for, I don't know, three walks with my mother that were longer than an hour. Mm. Um, One with my father. (laughs) Hiking was wasn't something we did as a family yeah so hence my laughter <laughs> but but they were very supportive and what we did do was ponies my grandfather had, was a retired farmer he had a few acres of land we had some ponies with him so I might not have been hiking but I was certainly horse riding as a youngster and then you said when you were about 15, 16, you, you took off with some friends on a three-speed bike and went for an adventure, turned left out the garden gate and away you went. Yes. I'd been playing tennis with one of my two best friends in school. Then we walked up our local mountain, a hill really, because, well, she was, I guess, more into hiking, that sort of thing, than I was. And mm. it was a nice day. Why not You know, hang out with your friend at the local mountain? And she said to me, oh, my mum suggested that maybe we go youth-hustling on our bicycles. And I was like, wow, that sounds amazing. Mm. And I went home, not for a second thinking that I'd be allowed to go. Mm -hmm. But I mentioned it. And my mum leapt at the chance. She thought it would be really, really good for me. And I was like, yes, I can't (laughs) believe it. And it's like... I all I had to pluck up the courage to ask her. Mm. And because I plucked up the courage to ask her, I got to go. She wanted me to go. She as I said, she thought it'd be good for me and my development, etc. Wow. It was yeah, so I'm so glad my friend suggested it. And three of us went that year, and the next year five of us went. Ah, uh, how exciting. And what did that give you? Because you know, teenage girls going off on their own at that sort of formative age, that's not always something you hear of and especially if you hadn't come from that sort of background it taught me to have the courage to do things Mm. that we don't need to be put off there's a lot more on social media isn't there now katie about people doing massive adventures and using phenomenal kit Mm. we didn't have phenomenal kit. We had sandals, cotton shorts, cotton t-shirts, Peter Store Max, canvas mm. panniers. I had a three-speeder bike as did one of the others, one at a five-speeder, and off we went. Mm. It's Sometimes it's just a case of 
just go do it. And for us, that was a massive adventure. And some days we might only have cycled 12 or so miles, but it didn't matter. Yeah. It was still an adventure. And staying in youth hostels, I'm a massive fan of youth hostels because uh-huh. you never, ever know who you're going to meet there. Yeah. And a, a great way of meeting people from different cultures or backgrounds. Yeah, they're just brilliant. Whereas, you know, if you're camping in a tent by yourself, even in an organized campsite, you might talk to nobody. And that's something you've clearly carried with you because, you know, you, you now have this magazine adventure. So you've done all these adventures. And is it still something that drives you? Is that sort of desire to meet new and different people and hear their stories? Absolutely. The magazine isn't about me. Sometimes I do write in there. And that's because they, I might have promised a story on a topic for a very long time and I haven't been able to get somebody else to write about mm-hmm. that issue. Or it might be because somebody's too busy to write an article, but they're happy to give an interview. Mm-hmm. So sometimes I do write for it. But the point is to get as many other people as possible to share their stories And that includes cultural stories. So I've had one lady from Pakistan write a net. I've had another one who's written a couple of times who's in Malaysia write for it. Mm. And getting people like that from other cultures, I think, is so important because the magazine is about empowering, educating, and entertaining. But I think... The educational aspect of it is educating ourselves about those other cultures so Mm. that when we travel there or interact with people from different places, we have a better understanding of where those people come from. And we don't try to impose our values on everywhere else. Mm. So true. And, and and is that why you started the magazine? Well, let's let's talk about the magazine a little bit. So it's called Adventure She, and it's to tell the stories, as you say, to educate, empower, and entertain. And but it's stories of women. And I think you you won't be the first of my guests to bemoan the fact that we don't hear enough stories about women doing amazing, cool things. And in fact, indeed is the reason I started this podcast. I started it as a magazine that was online to save paper, but also the reason why it's by women is because if you think about history, the names Mm. and what women are famous from history, the same names keep cropping up. Joan Mm. of Arc, Florence Nightingale, Elizabeth I, maybe Queen Victoria. Mm. Whereas if you ask about men in history, you might get a thousand different names. It might be George yeah. Washington. It might be Rasputin. It might be Stalin. It mm. might be David Livingston. It could be, you know, Pizarro in South America. It could, there's so many different names that come up. And I thought, if we want the women of today to be remembered in the future, We need to share the stories of the women of today. So Mm. let's get those stories out there. And I appreciate since the magazine started, there have been more books sharing more stories about women as well, which is fantastic. Mm. 
It's about sharing the stories of women, getting them out there. If there's a man listening to this podcast and his mother, his grandmother, his great aunt, his great, 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 great aunt did something amazing. Yes, send me the story. I don't Mm. say that a man can't write for it. It's just I want the stories to be about women. Mm. Or if it's a story about a man, it's because it impacts a woman. So, for example, if a guy's had testicular cancer Mm. and wants to share what that's like, then it might be good for a woman to learn about it so Mm -hmm. that if her part, if she's got a male partner and if her partner has got it, he might be too scared to say something, but she can learn something about it that might Mm. impact somebody in her life or her son or a brother or whatever. And what has that opened up for you? Because I, I, I don't know about you, but through my podcast, I have just had the greatest honor to speak to the most incredible women and hear their stories for free. It's like a free, and I, I, you know, I say this all the time, my regular listeners will be like, stop repeating yourself. But it is like a free masterclass in life for me. <gasps> Just hear the most extraordinary stories. And it's like, when would you ever get the chance to sit down with these women and have an hour of their time in your life. I just think it's the most incredible privilege. I totally agree, Katie. And when I get these stories, generally I find that there is a theme running to them. And each issue of the magazine has a theme. It mm-hmm. might be leadership, it could be gratitude, it could be resilience, it could be fear, dealing with change. There's a whole load of themes in there. And that's one of the things that has struck me is how a lot of us come across the same issues. And it's down to our attitude, whether we allow an issue to hold us back or whether we deal with that issue so that we can develop as a person and go on and do what it is we want to do. Mm. And, but in terms of the ones who are too busy to write themselves, some of them, I know they're going to be too busy to write themselves. I'm not even going to ask them. It's the stories that they have to say. Like I recently interviewed through a translator, a lady who's in her 80s who does windsurfing. Mm. She windsurfed 18 miles and she's fascinating. And I interviewed her over Zoom and she gave me a tour of a garden and stuff. And then mm-hmm. I've interviewed Pepe, who sailed nonstop around the world, single-handed, unsupported in the Bondi Globe. And I even got to interview a former prime minister of New Zealand who was also number three at the United Nations for two terms. And she's talking to me about stuff like Afghanistan. Yeah. Like yeah, she she likes mountaineering. She calls it a soft mountaineering or baby mountaineering or whatever. <laughs> but would, if we don't get women like her to share their story, we're missing yeah. out because a woman who's been in her position has got so much to share about things like leadership. Mm. So let's gr- seize that moment. And it's like, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll talk to as many people as I can, time allowing. You mentioned Marathon de Sars yes. before. There's, um, it was actually, it took me 15 years to get to the start line. Wow. I, this was a few years into this, hey, I want to do Marathon de Sars, but procrastination, fear, and doubt had put me off mm. doing it. And I was living in Melbourne at the time, and I somehow heard about it, 
these two guys from Sydney who were coming down to Melbourne to give a talk about it. Mm. So it was 2009. It was becoming popular, but it wasn't, you know, so popular yet. You know, we didn't have Instagram. Facebook was still in the early days. Mm. And I went to this talk and I thought they were going to be like some Ahinman triathletes Mm -hmm. or some, you know, the Statue of David or Mm -hmm. something like that. And it's like, no. If I remember rightly, one was a gardener and one was a recruitment consultant. And it was like, they just look like the guy next door. Yeah. And it it goes to show that sometimes we put ourselves off because we build people up to be so much more than what people really are. And what it comes down to is attitude of how, not just how hard are we willing to work towards our own goals? Mm. But first we need to know what are our goals, how hard we are willing to work towards them, but also how smart are we willing to work towards our own goals? Mm. Because hard work can be wasted work if it's not smart work. Yeah. What is it that's led you to learn that? Because you were a lawyer, so that that involves long hours. Oh, yeah. But what what is it that's led you to... You know, people say that a lot, but, you know, you sound like you have the conviction of through experience. The other reason why I set up the magazine is there's a saying, a fool learn by their own mistakes, a wise person learns by another's. Mm. Well, let me be your fool. <laughs> I'm, as you know, I'm 54 now. And like most people, I've made a ton of mistakes in my life. Mm. I don't think anybody's goes through life with zero mistakes. And if I can help minimize the mistakes other people make, brilliant. Mm. If I can do that by sharing my story. And sometimes, yeah, I'd be doing those long hours, but were they smart? Yeah. Would I have operated better if I'd gone home at 10 p.m.? instead of one, yeah. if I'd gone home and had some more sleep yeah. or if I'd left at 8 p.m. and gone to the gym and then gone home, yeah. would I actually have been more functional in the office in that respect? But mm. it, as I say, it wasn't all work though. It was, um, I used to be, well, I used to do nothing and then yeah. I started to get into hiking. And when I started to get into hiking, I was you know, wearing cotton clothing and tennis shoes and I had no idea about the supplies to take and I'd be starving that sort of stuff but step by step hike by hike I got more experienced etc and then I got really really ill I was ill for a few years and I couldn't do stuff Mm -hmm. and I think it was after it had general anesthetic number 13 or something like that I was on the sofa and I was like I'm fed up of this I want to do something and so I entered a half Iron Man, <laughs> as you do, <laughs> as you do. Well, I'd done some shorter triathlons, mm-hmm. so it wasn't like I didn't know what a triathlon was. I'd actually done a lot of shorter triathlons. Mm. So I entered this half Iron Man, and but three, four months beforehand, I went and broke my ribs. Ooh. So of course I couldn't do it. So I deferred to a different race. The first one was going to be in the UK. The deferred one was in Croatia. I flew out to Croatia, registered for the race. The night before the 
event or two nights before the actual event, I got a phone call to say my father was seriously ill and in hospital. Mm -hmm. Now, this is where values comes into it. It's like, yes, I wanted to do the race, but family matters far more to me than Mm -hmm. a race. Mm -hmm. So instead of doing the race, I was on a plane back to the UK. Mm -hmm. So the following year, now we're on to 2016, I actually got to start the half iron, (laughs) third attempt, third time lucky. Uh And so I did the race. So I was doing the race and in the swim leg, and for some some reason, I started vomiting and I couldn't stop vomiting. And one of the safety kayakers notices this and he paddles up to me and he bumps my head. Oh, no. I know, I know. He's like, oops, sorry about that. He wanted to check I was okay. And instead, he bangs my head. And then I keep going. And I'm like in the water. And I'm like, just Jane, pretend you're in a swimming pool. It's a 25-meter pool. You're just swimming a length. Swim a bit more. Mm. Vomit a bit more. Swim a bit more. Vomit a bit more. Another safety kayaker comes up to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm going to carry on. I'm going to carry on get out of the water, not knowing if I'll still be able to stand or whatever. And yeah, I get on the bike. So I'm not feeling particularly well, but I get on the bike and I ride the course and I do the run bet and I finish. And I'm really slow, about seven hours, 40 or something like that. Mm. And I've got nothing better to do, Katie. So I go to the uh, presentation ceremony at the end and watch the winners, et cetera. And I've nothing better to do. So I hang out to watch the allocation of slots for the world championships because Mm. the winner is automatically given a slot. Mm. And then if you're in one of the larger age groups, there's a second slot or possibly a third slot, Mm -hmm, et cetera. mm -hmm. My age group had two slots. The winner didn't want hers. The second took hers. They called out the name of the third person. No answer. Because a lot of people had left by now. Yeah. Fourth person, no answer. Fifth person, no answer. And it went down and down and down. And eventually, yeah, I got the slot. I think I was about 26 in my age Oh, my God. I know. (laughs) But, you know, if you've got to be in it to win it. Yeah. Yeah. You see, it's a moment. It all comes into it. It's like importance of attitude and whatever. Yeah, my attitude was, seize the moment and Say Amazing. Yes, well, thank you. Thank you very much. Oh, so yes. That is how I got to go to the World Championships the following year. It wasn't based on talent, it was because <laughs> I seized the moment. But we, if we put ourselves in the position that an opportunity might potentially land our way, yeah. even if it's a minuscule chance of it happening, it might happen. But if I'd given up after the swim leg because I'd been vomiting and I wasn't yeah. feeling my best, it wouldn't have happened. <laughs> Talking of perseverance, you've mentioned a couple of times now that you were ill and mm. you were quite seriously ill. And this came from, so you'd had a prophylactic um, mastectomy, if I'm, if I'm correct, because yes. both your mother and your favorite aunt had died of breast cancer, which yes. is must be and then you were quite young when that happened um which, so dealing with that and then dealing with having to you know put yourself through this to in order to save potentially save your life 
but then it became a very much bigger deal than it necessarily should have been. Have I summarized that correctly? My mother and both her sisters actually had breast cancer. Mm. Their eldest sister, um, it was it was caught very, very, very quickly, and she survived to being 84. Mm. My mother and a younger sister, unfortunately, were both, ne- neither of them saw 60. Mm. And so I was, uh, I was living in New Zealand. I'd been kayaking and we'd been practicing our rolling. And I got some water on the air. Uh, one of the partners at work on the Monday took extreme pleasure in creeping up to me and going, boo, into my ear. Yeah, and then I just uh, leapt up when I saw him because I couldn't hear him approach because of the water on my ear. So he said, mm-hmm. you, Jane, you have got to go and see a doctor. So I went to see a doctor. I hadn't been in New Zealand long. The doctor's kind of like, oh, there's a big gap on your medical records. Tell me everything. So I told him, and when I told him the family history, he's like, you couch now examination. And he was mm-hmm. like, ooh, not sure about something. So sent me off for an ultrasound. So I'm early 30s then. Mm. Roll on a few years. I was lucky. That was fine. But because of his, because of past family history and that doctor's reaction to the story and mm. more and more stories in the press, I was aware. Also, my eldest brother's doctor. So I was aware from what he was telling me. When I was 40 in Australia, I got put on a high surveillance list, which mm-hmm. meant annual mammograms and an annual MRI. Mm. And they also, the oncologist recommended a prophylactic mastectomy, but mm. I couldn't get my head around it just yet. Yeah. The following year, I was in a better position headwise. And which is a good thing because his advice was becoming stronger and stronger mm. because he's saying it has to happen before you hit menopause Yeah, with my particular family history. And so, yeah, um, it, that was the advice. The mammogram was clear. The MRI, however, showed a lump. So what do you do then? You yeah. act on it. And his recommendation was prophylactic mastectomy. Um, Almost a week after the operation, I started to feel unwell. Good. I think it was a week after I got readmitted. They opened me up. And that night, the oncologist came to see me and he said, Oh, Mark, who's the plastic surgeon, um, he, he phoned me from the, from the operating room. Um, he thought it was going to be an infected tissue expander, but it wasn't. It was something else. So um, I'm going to send Ian to come and see you tomorrow. And Ian was a infectious diseases specialist. Oh. And yeah, so he prescribed some massive medicine. And a few days later, the, you know, so I had um, an oncologist, a plastic surgeon, infectious diseases specialist, and by now a pathologist on my case. Oof. And it was process of elimination that it was pyodermogranulosum because they tested me for everything and anything that was out there. Mm. And, and tell me, um, what, what does that mean? Basically, I had two big holes in my body. Mm. But, well, no, but it initially I had one. It, it, initially, they it was, it was red. It was red and I had a fever. And eventually, because I had a number of operations, eventually I had two big holes in my body 
and you could see the beat of my heart through one of them. Oh, so yeah, it didn't look very nice, mm. but I had a crack team on my case who really took care of me. I had a month in hospital. My friends in Melbourne, because I was in Melbourne, as I say, thousands of miles away from home, opposite side of the world, were absolutely fantastic. But that went on for sort of three years. They, it was about six operations, five, six operations initially. And then I had to go back and forth to see a variety of specialists mm. because they didn't want to put any more tissue expanders inside me until they'd worked out what had happened. Mm. They never did manage to work out why it happened to me because mm -hmm. about 50% of cases, there is no reason. Mm. Um, and so then the reconstruction stuff had to be put on hold right. and the reconstruction got made harder because of all the scar tissue inside mm. of me. Gosh. And plus they were scared of it coming back. So every time they did an operation, they'd put me on steroids <sighs> to ensure that I didn't get pyodermogangrenosum again. And then, so pyodermogangrenosum is what happened to me. So it was, it's like, if you think about open sores, yeah. Really nasty open sores. And one was about the size of a computer mouse and one was a bit bigger than that. And they were one of them was so deep you could see yeah. the um, beat of my heart, as I say. Oh, gosh. But, yeah, it was just an open sore. Oh, that's what it is. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, it's how wow. it manifested itself on me. And, so, and was it a double mistectomy? You'd have? Yeah, yeah, wow. yeah. Because it's prophylactic, so there's yeah, no point yeah. in doing just one. Just the one, yeah. And so did but, you eventually have the reconstructions? Yeah, I eventually had the reconstruction and yeah, so that's why I took so many operations because that got impacted as well. And then when they did the reconstruction, then something in there moved. So then they had to go and try to do it again. And then they noticed all the scar tissue in there. So then they wanted to cut that away. And then they oh. wanted to do the other one and cut away the scar tissue there. And it's a good thing they did because, you know, Katie, at times I couldn't leave my home I was so exhausted at times mm. I'd be walking down the street having just gone to the local shops and an old age pensioner would be able to pass me by because I was walking <laughs> that slowly and yeah. at the time so it was fine I'd go hiking but if I wanted to do something with my friends I had to bank energy for days beforehand yeah. and for days afterwards I'd hardly be uh, able to leave my sofa yeah. it was yeah if I if I wanted to do something big it was you really had to bank the energy and suffer the consequences afterwards. And how were you mentally through all of this? Because you, you clearly went in, you know, it's a big deal anyway, massive deal to have your breasts removed. That's, you know, that's what makes us feel like women. And you clearly said you were a bit re more ready for it when you went in, thinking that that's it. I'll, you know, I'll deal with this. I will cut my chances of getting cancer you know, and then we can reconstruct and, and go forward. And then that's three years of, you know, hellish sort of setbacks. Yeah, it wasn't the best of times, but the good that came out of it is I realised the value of amazing friends, uh. how special some people are. And some people, I did a sport in Australia called road gaining. It's similar mm. to orienteering, but it's, it's a bit like mountain marathons. And I'd been on the committee or some, 
contacted a committee of the state or orienteering association. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's people like I knew through there. I just knew them. They weren't friends. But like one of those people became a super awesome friend of mine mm. because she started to come to the hospital to visit me because she was a good soul. So good came out of it as well in the sense that I really got to know the good inside of some people. I think the term is play it forward. You know, pay it forward. That's exactly what I was about to ask you. How have you paid it forward? Well, there was a guy who I vaguely knew who was in hospital with leukemia. He's unfortunately since passed away and he was a New Zealander. Mm. And apparently because uh, there'd been a typhoon or something, cyclone, whatever they call them, in Queensland, bananas were really, really expensive. Really, really, mm. really expensive. And he's craving bananas. So I took him a big lump, bunch of bananas and I took him a tape of a rugby match mm-hmm. that he couldn't watch at the hospital. And I took him the autobiography of Graham Henry, who was then, I think, the coach of Wales. It was a New Zealander. Yes, yes, yes. So he was very happy because he was a, new, he was a rugby match New Zealander. So you're, not, you're no longer a solicitor, but you do use what you learned within that life and presumably from your illness and your adventures uh, to go forward and do other things, helping people. Exactly. Uh, one of the things like in the magazine it, that I'm keen on um, including is stuff about justice for Indigenous people, mm. if I can. So there was an article um, recently about the Maori and some of the Maori traditions mm-hmm. because the Anglo and Spanish cultures are so prevalent in the world. Mm. What about all of the smaller cultures? I'm Welsh yeah. speaking, Welsh, for example. So if people like me don't help stand up for smaller cultures, who will? Yeah. So I want to put my legal hat on in that respect to mm. stand up for justice and fairness. I wanted to ask you a few things, uh, sort of uh, specifically. One, are you looking for writers? Are you looking for people to contribute to your magazine ever? Always. For you know, anyone who's listening. Always. It, you people can go to the contact page on the website or they can find me on Facebook, um, Adventure She, or there's a Facebook group, Adventure She Travel and Adventure Magazine, I think it's called, mm-hmm. on Facebook, or Instagram is Adventure underscore She, likewise Twitter. They can get hold of me and pitch an idea, and I'll send them the guidelines for contributors then, and it's wonderful. Two things, first of all. What, what are the future plans for Jane Harris? What are the future adventures? I thought you might ask me this. Mm-hmm. I have a very different adventure ahead Ooh, of me. tell me. My adventure is getting my body healthy so I can adventure properly again. <laughs> nice. <laughs> In the last year, I managed to break two toes in different accidents. One was a big toe Oof. and do my shoulder in, which necessitated shoulder surgery. Oh. So 
I'm currently going through lots of rehab exercises to get my shoulder mm-hmm. nice and strong again because uh, there's lots of things I'd like to do, like cycle. Last year, some fr- a friend and I were meant to be cycling to Rome from London mm. along the Via Frangicena, which I think you are hiking. Yes, I am in bits and pieces. Yes, you will be passing right far past my front door nearly. Oh, excellent! I hope you make some good <laughs> strong coffee. I do. I do. Well, I don't, but my husband does. <laughs> excellent. So that's the plan. Yes, the Frangicena. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So that that is one plan. I, there's a big trip I want to do in Iceland on horseback because I still ride. I still. Mm-hmm. So uh, one of my best closest friends has um, moved back to the United States. She's American. So there's a b- big plans to go out to Colorado, catch up with her and do whatever adventures she comes up with. Mm-hmm. She's into cycling, kayaking, mountaineering, the whole shebang. So yeah. I will, that's her, ter- that's her turf. So she can organize that. And then nice. I'd love to go back to Australia sometime and cycle the Mawson trail, hike the Larapenta trail and go <gasps> into the Bungle Bungles. Amazing. So there's there's lots of things I want to do. It's a case of what is safe and when it's safe Mm -hmm. and what my body is capable of doing at the particular time. For me at the moment is that I'm using this time as local adventures, exploring Mm. locally. There are so many paths in Pembrokeshire where I now live and around about that. A lot of people pay a lot of money to come here on holiday. So yeah. why not enjoy it myself? Perfect. That sounds amazing. I love it. And then the very last thing I want to ask you is about your challenge, Katie. And yours is a little bit different to some of the others I've had. Yes. Yes. At times, we can be very, very hard. I think a lot of us can be very, very hard on ourselves, can't we? Mm-hmm. And we ask too much of ourselves, we can drive ourselves into a bit of a downward spiral by pushing ourselves too hard. So my challenge for you, Katie, is to be kind to yourself. Thank you. I love it. It has been my goal for the last two years. But as you say, we sometimes forget these things. You sometimes forget and you sometimes, you know, don't you talk to yourself the way you would never talk to your friends or the people you love. So yes. But I do respect, expect you, Katie, to report back to me on that one. Okay. And by this time next year, to send me two or three ways in which you have been kind to yourself. So I'm oh, going to hold yes, you boss. to it. Oh, absolutely. Okay. I'm not making a note of that, but yes. Okay. And so sort of a long-term being kind to myself. Yes. Oh, I like it. Good. Thank you. That's got me thinking. Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> I suspect in my case, it will be saying no a lot more than, yeah. <laughs> than, uh, than I have done in the past, but I will think on that. Thank you very much. But it might be Katie that when somebody presents you with a challenge, you actually say to them, no, because the challenge you have presented to me means I will have to be away from my family for blah, blah, blah amount of time, mm-hmm. which is actually at this particular moment in time not what I want to do yeah or yeah. it might you know that that that's so sometimes you need to say no thank you so much for your time it's been absolutely brilliant chatting to you what an incredible extraordinary life you have led and are leading thank you Casey
Thanks for listening. I really hope you enjoyed that. I'll be back next week with some more great chat with another amazing woman. Bye-bye. <laughs>